great, mighty, awesome, powerful God. And we ask today, God, that you do keep us near the cross. God, we pray now that you will bless us to proclaim your word. Open our hearts and our minds that we will listen attentively. Not only will we be listeners of your word, hearers, but we will likewise be doers. Make it plain for us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to turn with me once again to our text coming from Acts chapter 8 as we continue preaching through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8. Verse 36, now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in his otis, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. I want to preach today from the subject evangelism lessons from Philip's legacy. Evangelism lessons from Philip's legacy. Philip the evangelist as he is known appears on the biblical scene in Acts chapter 6 verse 5. He was chosen by the newly established church in Jerusalem to serve alongside six other men in what we call today the deacon's ministry. The reason <clears throat> Philip was chosen to serve in the deacon's ministry was because he was known to be a man who had a good reputation and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And by the way, that's still the biblical mandate for selecting men to serve as deacons in the present-day church. Men ought not be selected to serve as deacons just because they are popular or have influence among the congregation or because they can give large sums of money or have a fancy job title or because they come from influential families, etc., etc., etc. The Bible is clear. Only men who have a good reputation and whose lives bear witness to the reality that they are full of the Holy Spirit and wise in all the way in the, all the ways of life that they handle their personal family interpersonal church and all their relationships with wisdom well philip had a stellar 
reputation. His relationship with Jesus was verified, it was bona fide, solidified by fellow believers. Not only was Philip a deacon, a servant leader, he was also a powerful, powerful, powerful preacher whose aim was leading people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and, and his powerful preaching and his aim and his passion to see people come into a relationship with Jesus earned him the title of evangelist. In Acts chapter 21, verse 9, Luke identifies him as an evangelist. And in fact, when you read on a little bit further towards the end of his life, his evangelistic ministry was so powerful that it impacted his family. He also had four daughters who were preachers. As an evangelist is one who has a passion, one who has a drive, one, one, one who, who, who has a zeal for seeing people come to know Jesus as personal Lord and Savior. And while some people have the spiritual gift of evangelism, all of us should have a desire to see people come into a saving relationship with Jesus and to see them accept Jesus Christ as Lord of their lives. So it was after the stoning of Stephen, who was the first deacon, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. As a result, many followers of Jesus, the Bible tells us, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now watch this. Philip goes to Samaria in Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8, where he engages the Bible tells us in a powerful preaching, teaching, healing, and deliverance ministry. In fact, verse 8 tells us that there was a great joy in the city. Philip was preaching and teaching and people were being healed and delivered from unclean spirits. And the city was in revival. There was a great joy. There was much celebration. People were happy, even though the church was being persecuted. But notice, at the height of Philip's ministry, at the apex of his service, at the zenith of his work in Samaria, he gets a call from God. The call comes in verse 26. Watch carefully as the story unfolds. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, speak, he spoke to Philip on behalf of God. The text says, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise and go toward the south along the road which leads down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Oh boy. Thriving ministry, preaching in the heyday, all is going well. He gets a call from God through the angel who says, Philip, arise and go towards the south along the road, 
which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And the angel says, this is desert. But notice something in the text. Philip does not debate, does not dialogue, does not discuss, does not dispute with the angel. Verse 27 simply says, he arose and went. Oh boy, do you see that? He arose and went. Isn't that a beautiful picture of obedience to God? Then when we get the call from God to arise and go. Amen. So he arose and went. Now at the same time, Philip arose and went in obedience to God, a man from Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority who worked directly for Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He also had charge of all of her treasury. I underscored this in my notes when I was studying. He said he, he had charge of all, all her treasury. This man was en route from, uh, from Jerusalem headed home. He had been to Jerusalem to worship. He was en route in his chariot going back to Ethiopia. Now, unbeknown to Philip and unbeknown to the Ethiopian, God had arranged a delightful rendezvous. God had set up, God had set up, God had scheduled a meeting, don't miss this, between a Hebrew and an African. A rich government official and a low-income preacher. This meeting, this, 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 this meeting was between a social aristocrat and a spiritual fugitive. So I submit to you today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that God has an unprecedented way of bringing some of the most unusual people together. Would you not agree that God has a most unusual way of bringing, an unprecedented way of bringing some of the most unusual people together in order to carry out his kingdom agenda. And when you look at how some of us got together, you can't help but say, by God. Well, 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 for example, when you look around at us here at the Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church, we can't help but conclude that, that in his unprecedented way, that God brought us together. For to be sure, when you think about it and you look at the makeup of our congregation, to be sure nobody but God can bring formal jail and prison inmates together with law enforcement officers and probation officers and have us worshiping and working and fellowshipping and breaking bread together around the Lord's table. Only God can do that. You got a church and you got former criminals together, along with those who were, who were, who were 
obligated to catch them and lock them up, now eating together at the Lord's table. God has an unprecedented way of scheduling meetings between some of the most unusual folks. Well, nobody but God could have arranged for a former professed Klansman on our pulpit today and his wife to become part of Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church. Nobody but God could arrange it so that we would sit together, sing together, pray together, get this, eat from the same pots together at church functions. Only God could arrange that. Only God could have arranged a meeting, a divine rendezvous between Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church family in Gordonville, Florida, and the Pickett family who were living in Kansas City, Kansas at the time. Only God could have arranged that meeting that has lasted today, this day, for 19 years. With all of the trauma and all of the drama that goes on in churches today, only God could have arranged it for us to be together. So so the point is, don't be surprised, but be open to the divine appointments that God arranges for you. Be open to the divine appointments. Philip was open. Philip was obedient to the divine appointment God had for him. So it was Philip joined the Ethiopian in his chariot, and he heard him reading a portion of Scripture from the prophet Isaiah, which he did not understand. Verse 32 uh, of the text was really a quote from Isaiah 53, but but what really came from Isaiah 53, that's what he was reading. This unit had gotten a scroll somehow. Uh, some theologians, some commentators say that, that, that just by the fact that he ended up with a scroll uh, in those days meant that he was a wealthy man, that, that he was able to get a copy of Isaiah's word, the word of God from Isaiah. So the text read he was reading, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before a sure is silent. He opened not his mouth. In humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from him. Now at the conclusion of the text, he he had read it. He didn't understand it. So at the conclusion of the text, the unit asked the question that baffled his mind. The question that perhaps he had gone to the temple in Jerusalem to have answered. It was a plaguing question that that hounded him intensely. But there in verse 35, when Philip opened his mouth and preached Jesus, the man found the answer. He, He found relief. There are many people who are looking for answers. They are looking, they're looking for relief. I submit to you that the only way they'll find it is in Jesus. The man found relief in hearing about Jesus, the precious blood, precious lamb of God who died on Calvary's cross to save sinners from the penalty of sin. But not only that, 
The man found relief in the reality of the resurrection. For when Jesus rose from the grave with all power, the man found relief in a Savior who had all power. And so when the Ethiopian heard the good news, when he heard the gospel, when he heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. When he heard that those who came to Jesus just as they were were saved and baptized, as an outward sign of an inward change, he asked Philip another question. He said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Philip made it clear to the man that that what matters now, mister, at this junction in life is not your race. What matters now at this your junction in life is it, it, not about your creed or your color. What matters now is not your social class or your social standing. What matters now is not the work that you work for the queen or how much money you have what matters now is not the fact that you are a eunuch and you would never be fully accepted as a Hebrew because you've been immaculated. All that matters now, sir, is do you believe in Jesus with all your heart? All right, y'all, here's a truism. When it comes to leading people to Jesus, let's tell them the truth. It's not about your color. It's not about your class. It's not about your accomplishments. It's not about your past history, how good you are or how good you think you have been. It's not about how bad you have been. All that matters now, sir, ma'am, is do you believe with all your heart that Jesus died for your sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day, Sunday morning, from the grave with all power in his hands? That's all that matters now at this point. Notice verse 37, the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Right then, without any further deliberations, he commanded the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Spirit took Philip away. The eunuch didn't see him again. And the Bible says the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Now, some years ago, Sister Pickett and I had the privilege of traveling to Jerusalem and there in that great city, where up on a mountain was the Ethiopian temple with Ethiopian monks and an Ethiopian Christian community. And outside the temple is a little plaque that tells the story 
of an Ethiopian who was traveling from Jerusalem to Gaza and got hijacked, if you will, by a hitchhiker. That's, that's a direct quote, y'all. That's what I say. That's not a picket, it's, that's a quote. Hijacked by a hitchhiker, and, and the plaque goes on to say that this man is credited with the spread of the gospel throughout of Ethiopia. Now, there are three lessons from Philip's legend, uh, legacy that I want to leave with you. Lesson one, in order for us individually and as a church to be effective in our work, in our ministry, in our evangelism, in our discipleship, in our missions, we must be in touch with the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. In order for us to to be effective, to maximize the the, the powers of God, we must be in touch with the Holy Spirit. All that we do as Christ followers should be Holy Spirit-led. That means we ought to pray about it and we ought to have clarification from the Holy Spirit. Philip didn't pick up and leave on his own it was the Lord that told him the spirit that told him to run aside this chariot get up in the chariot at the precise time that the man was reading from Isaiah 53 and had a had a question that needed to be asked and I found it so amazing that the text says Philip ran now he ran because he was on God's timetable you see, had he walked, had he scrolled, the unit perhaps would have passed by that portion. Had he gone ahead of God, the unit would not have been at that portion. But it was God's timing, and the reason Philip was able to hit the gate of opportunity was because it was God, Spirit, directed. That's how we hit those gates of opportunities in our lives, you know. That's how when you walk in and for that interview and, and, and you get that job, it's God's timing. That, that's how when you meet that special someone, it's God's timing. We need to be spirit-led. Pastor, preacher, teacher by the name of R. Ken Hughes wrote these words concerning Philip connection with the Holy Spirit. Kent Hughes wrote, Philip was so in touch with the Spirit that he became the touch of God. I wish I would have said that. I got to give credit where credit is. I wish I would have said that, y'all. But Hughes said, he said, Phil, wouldn't it be, how powerful is that, that we are so in touch with the Spirit that we become the touch of God. Philip was so in touch with the Spirit that he became the touch of God anywhere and in any way and to anyone that God asked him to be. Lesson two. In order for us individually and as a church to be effective in our work, in our ministry, in our evangelism, our discipleship, our missions, outreach, we must be in touch with the gospel. Philip could only share what he knew. And because he knew the word, he could effectively 
effectually and efficiently share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with the Ethiopian eunuch. You can say a lot of things about Philip, but one of the things you can say about Philip is that he knew that word. Philip had studied that word. Philip, Philip had been with it. Philip knew the word. If we're going to be effective in touching people, we got to be first in touch with the gospel. Because we cannot proclaim what we do not know for ourselves. Listen, knowing a whole lot of information about a wide range of subjects is commendable. But until we know the truth about Jesus and until we are able to share that truth, that information with sin-sick, sin-cursed, and sin-engulfed families, friends, co-workers, classmates, people we encounter at the airport, the grocery store, the playground, or anywhere else, until we can tell the story of Jesus from his word, we will not be able to leave them to Christ. We've got to know the story in order to tell the story. That's why Bible study and and, and men's group and women's group and and, and personal time and silence and solitude and, and not forsaking and assembling of ourselves together in worship is so important because therein lies our connections to learning this word that the world so desperately needs to hear. Third and finally, in order for us to be individually, uh, be uh, individually as well as the church, to be effective in our work, we must be in touch with people. Philip was in touch, get this, with all types of people. He was there in Samaria, He touched the lives of those who were called half-breeds and hated by many Jewish people and the Jewish leaders. Samaritans were called half-breeds, and and full-blooded Jews hated them with a passion, and in some cases, vice versa. But Philip rose to the occasion, and he touched the lives even of half-breeds. On the desert road, Philip crossed the national, the racial uh, class, and he crossed economic boundaries and, and reached out to a man in desperate need of Jesus. Here was a Jewish man reaching out to a black man. You see, here's a truism. God wants us to touch people with the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, in actuality, that's what this communion table is all about this morning. Just a little bit, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, but that's what this table represents. It represents a loving God who reaches out to a dying world and touches us. Don't y'all love that song? He touched me. He touched me in all the joy. That filled my soul, something, not so, somebody touched me. Now I know life is never the same. That's what this table is about. It's, it's about God reaching down to a dying world and touching us with the love 
the grace and the mercy of his son, Jesus. God has spoken. Let the church say, Amen.